0: Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. We're Maureen and Scott Proctor of Meridian Magazine. And today's lesson is on Mark chapters 2 through 5 and Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Thy faith hath made thee whole.
1: You can find all these podcasts at ldsmag.com forward slash podcast. Meridian Magazine is a daily updated magazine for those of you who may not know, for Latter day Saints or like-minded people, featuring a hundred writers who share everything from the news of the church to stories of tender mercies to help with your everyday life. It's located at ldsmag.com. All of us in this life need to be healed. No exceptions. That is the case with mortality. And there is one great physician, and that is THE physician, Jesus Christ. In those early days of his ministry, great multitudes followed him. And of course they would. And when they heard the great things that he did, they came unto him. Wouldn't you have also been among that multitude? Of course.
0: Well, I love that's it. it's also said in Matthew 8, this idea of great multitudes again. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Great multitudes, the point is made again and again. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, we read in Matthew eight thirty-five, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd.
1: I do love that. That's one of my favorite views of him. He was moved with compassion on them because it just makes me feel like he might be moved with compassion on me when I'm going through my struggles and trials. Can you imagine at that time how thirsty the people were for the word to have their souls and bodies healed, to be invited out of the barren life where the word was absent and to be invited to be with the great healer?
0: I love Doctrine and Covenants, section 128, verse 19. Now what do we hear in the gospel which we have received? A voice of gladness, a voice of mercy from heaven, and a voice of truth out of the earth. A voice of gladness for the living and the dead, glad tidings of great joy. As the dews of Carmel, so shall the knowledge of God descend upon them. I like that idea that people were coming in these great multitudes to be healed body and spirit and to be healed by the word as well.
1: And why are they coming? Because we in mortality are the wounded and the ailing, the challenged, the agonized, compassed about and inside by grief of every kind. And here at last is someone who can heal them with a touch.
0: Are we any different? We have physical ailments, yes, and emotional ones, too. Losses and disappointments and weaknesses that eat us up. These people are not somehow different than we are. So when we are looking at these stories of healing, we are looking at our own stories here.
1: And what I love is when the Lord heals someone, he also reaches out and personally touches them. We're going to talk about that a number of times in this podcast.
0: Yes, he touches them one at a time because you know you can't touch a whole crowd. His touch is personal, his touch is customized, his touch is made just for us, for our relief and knowledge.
1: The Lord not only often touches those he heals, but he is also touched by their plight. He's not a distant, unfeeling God. We learn in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He is touched by our pain and our longing, yearning hearts. He is touched by our weakness and our cries in the night. He is touched by our infirmities.
0: As Elder David A. Bednar said, There is no physical pain no spiritual wound, no anguish of soul or heartache, no infirmity or weakness you or I ever confront in mortality, the Savior did not experience first. And so we will see in these stories how often the Savior reaches out to touch someone, but it is because he has seen their plight. It has first touched him, for he has complete compassion.
1: In many of these stories, Jesus is healing people who live in villages around the Sea of Galilee. We need to give you a picture of this sea, or more aptly named, a lake. This lake is 13 miles long and about eight miles wide. It's not very big, it's shaped like a harp. And the fishing villages, particularly along the North Shore, is where Capernaum is and Bethsaida and other of these villages. This is where Jesus calls home during his ministry. And the reason they're located there on the North is because the jordan river comes in from the north and that fresh water coming in there is a great place for food for the fish so there's lots of fish at the northern end this is where all this food is coming in and the fishermen gather there at that north shore along the northwest shore near the village of magdala the shore was very swampy and thus it was easier to take a boat across the sea
0: so in mark chapter 2 we see the healing of the paralytic man Remember, there's a crush of people upon Jesus, everyone wanting his attention. So this man is borne by four others of his friends on his bed. And when they see that there's no way into where Christ is, they lift him up to the roof, take part of the roof up, and then lower him in to where Jesus is.
1: It's such an act of faith. It seems inappropriate to us. But in that culture, you can see that the way they built roofs, it was possible to take the thatch and take these palm prawns off and then undo things and lower them down. But it's such a tremendous act of faith. We like the way that Terrell and Fiona Givens describe this scene. Quote, "...only those who have suffered years of physical or mental hardship can know the wearying pain." the frustrated hopes, the moments of despair, and protracted periods of depression that can accompany the prolonged search for relief. Imagine, if you will, the first rumors that reach the paralytic of the miracle worker from Nazareth, this healer of maladies. With perhaps a mixture of skepticism and desperate hope, he enlists the help of his friends to secure an interview, a moment of consideration from this Jesus.
0: They make the tedious journey. They are, however, unable to penetrate the thick crowds of the devout and the curious. They cannot even make their way into the house where Jesus is speaking, and so the man's hopes fade, only to be rekindled when one of the four suggests a dramatic entry from above. The plan is accepted and executed, the bed descends, and a murmur of grudging admiration for the stranger's chutzpah ripples through the crowd as Jesus pauses in mid-sentence at this unexpected apparition, descending by ropes and pulleys. For our weary, patient years of hopeless longing now come crashing to a climax. The patient awaits the healer's hands or words of restoration, only to hear instead this unexpected utterance. Thy sins be forgiven thee.
1: And there were certain there of the scribes, this is in Mark chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, that started reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And they were right, because God was there. This is Jesus Christ, who is the God of the Old Testament, who is Jehovah, who is the Great and Mighty One. Of course, the Lord heals the man as well. And he picks up his bed and walks. But what the Lord has just taught is something deeper. Only God can heal sins. Exactly. This is another announcement. But it is also an expression that the woundedness we have may be even more important than our bodily pains.
0: The Givens again say, Our point is not by any means that sin is generally the only source of our suffering. It may often be. Our point, however, and we think Mark's point, is that our deepest healing seldom comes in the ways or modes that we envision. What we think we need to be happy and whole is not always what the healer knows we need to be happy and whole.
1: The Givens say solutions that seem obvious to us may be distractions from where the deepest pain lies. I also love what James says in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, because he talks about calling the elders of the church and coming to heal. And at the end, we always miss a little section that they're, they're healed, but also their sins are forgiven them. There's a healing of the body and of the spirit.
0: We must trust the Lord to know where we're wounded and how we can be healed. He tells us, I am able to do mine own work, and that is true, and much of the healing will be in ways we cannot see, line upon line. The faith to be healed is faith sometimes for a long journey, as the Lord does his work. He alone completely understands what hurts us, and we think we know, but he alone knows. Taking up his bed and walking may have been the least of the healing that day for this man, although it was the most obvious.
1: We always refer to Jesus as the savior of the world, but he could just as easily be called the healer of the world. And that is all of us so deeply in need. Uh, Terrell and Fiona Givens again note, in June 1829, as Joseph Smith was finishing his translation of the gold plates, he pronounced in the scope of one single sentence, a diagnosis and the promise of our healing, Neither will the Lord God suffer that the Gentiles shall forever remain in that state of awful woundedness which they are in because of the plain and most precious parts of the gospel of the Lamb which hath been kept back. In subsequent editions, that wording of woundedness was changed to awful state of blindness and then to awful state of wickedness. But what an interesting and powerful word, that awful state of woundedness.
0: The Savior is the only one who can heal our woundedness. And I think we all learn that in our lives. We try to make life a self-help regimen. But in the end, we have to bring our bleeding and wounded hearts and souls and bodies to him. And again, back to that idea of touch. Very often, Jesus did touch the people he healed, reached out and caressed them who were faltering, connected in that most sacred and personal flesh-to-flesh way that only a touch can be. He gave a touch that affirms and said, I see you. I know you. His touch said, My soul and your soul have entwined. He reached across the lonely barrier that spans our distance as isolated travelers to say, It is I. Be not afraid.
1: A touch is, by its very nature, a one-on-one experience. It is personal, directed at you.
0: We know, of course, that as the mighty Son of God, He did not need to touch anyone personally to do His miracles. He could perform miracles without even a nod of His head or a wave of His hand. When the centurion came to Him pleading for the Lord to heal His servant, it was done from a distance, only with a word. The servant was healed in the, quote, self-same hour. No touch was required for the Lord to heal another. Yet we have so many references to his touching those who came to him with yearning need. He was not in any way a distant God, a being someplace else beyond a cloud. He was one to enfold people in a divine embrace.
1: Let's look at some of these. When Peter's mother-in-law was sick with fever, quote, he touched her hand and the fever left her. When Peter, James, and John were awestruck on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. Then when two blind men were sitting by the wayside, he said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they said that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes.
0: We were once photographing scenes from Jesus' life in Nazareth with a cast of Nazarenes for a project we were working on. Our blind person for this photo was a woman, though there are no specific stories about a blind woman being healed in the Gospels. John tells us, quote, "...and there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they were written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. We knew that surely a blind woman had been healed."
1: So we asked our actor playing Jesus to act as if he were healing this woman and I began to photograph the scene, taking pictures quickly to catch every moment. We were so moved as we took the photos and learned this new perspective. In the scene, this Jesus didn't touch this woman's eyes from a distance, oh no. He cupped his hands around her face with such tenderness that seemed to encompass all she had been missing. Then he touched her eyes lightly with his thumbs. And then as her eyes were open, she began to weep and fell into his arms. He held her tightly while she sobbed in gratitude. Of course, this would have been how it was. The healed and the healer connecting on such a deep and personal level. The Lord embracing those he healed and touching them.
0: There are so many examples of the Lord's touch. A father came to the Lord with his child who had been possessed with a foul spirit since he was small. The grievance this brought to the boy had been immense. He had oftentimes cast him into the fire and into waters to destroy him. The spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose.
1: Remember when Peter tried to walk upon the water toward the Savior on the Sea of Galilee and then panicked before the boisterous sea? Quote, immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. We think of Jesus catching up the faltering Peter and wish that he were there to lift us in our tempestuous times. But of course, he is, holding out his arms to us so we won't sink.
0: All this means so much to me, who also find myself so many times in need of healing or on boisterous waves. The Lord doesn't send a substitute or watch out for me at a distance. He walks across the storm to find me where I am and touches me. How can he be so attentive and care so much?
1: And little children he took up in his arms. He put his hands upon them and blessed them. For those who were sick in a multitude, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them.
0: But that's not all. The Jews had a very clear standard and rigorous view about those people infected with leprosy. They were considered filthy and ritually unclean. They were completely untouchable and what's more, wholly deserving of their plight. They were sick because God had willed it in their minds. They were banished from society. If people saw them, they threw rocks at them, disdained them, ran. People would not touch them because they believed the disease to be rampantly contagious. And In a society where ritual purity was critical to their religion, touching those affected with leprosy made one ritually unclean. You can only imagine the social stigma and agonizing pain for those with this already terrible disease.
1: Jesus did not take any of this into account. Nothing could dissuade the Mighty One from extending complete compassion and healing love toward these already unfairly marginalized, disdained, and innocent people. For example, we have the story of a man with leprosy coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. The Lord made the infected man clean. Though scarred, broken, and oozing with leprosy, the man did not make the Lord unclean through this touch.
0: Note the sequence. The Lord could have first made him clean and then touched him, so no social stigma could have been attached to Jesus for touching a man with leprosy. It is, after all, just a simple reverse of order. This he didn't do. As he did with the man eaten by leprosy, he comes to touch us while we are yet unclean. He does not wait until we are whole.
1: Of this healing of the sick man in Matthew chapter 8, George MacDonald, a 19th century Christian writer, said, Jesus could have cured him with a word. There was no need he should touch him. No need, did I say? There was every need for no one else would touch him. The healthy human hand, always more or less healing, was never laid on him. He was despised and rejected. It was a poor thing for the Lord to cure his body. He must comfort and cure his sore heart. Of all men a leper, I say, needed to be touched with the hand of love. It was not for our master, our brother, our ideal man, to draw around him the skirts of his garment and speak a lofty word of healing, that the man might at least be clean before he touched him. The man was his brother, and an evil disease cleaved fast unto him. Out went the loving hand to the ugly skin, and there was his brother, as he should be, with the flesh of a child.
0: I thank God, he continues that the touch went before the word. Nor do I think it was the touch of a finger or of the fingertips. It was a kindly healing touch in its nature as in its power. O blessed leper, thou knowest henceforth what kind of a god there is in the earth. A god such as himself only can reveal to the hearts of his own. That touch was more than the healing. It was to the leper What the, neither do I condemn thee, was to the woman at the temple.
1: Perhaps most remarkable, Jesus even reached out to touch the servant of the high priest who came to arrest him in Gethsemane. When Peter, thinking to defend the Lord, cut off his ear, Jesus, quote, touched his ear and healed him.
0: I am moved to think that when I am broken, the Lord will touch me. It's that same impulse to reach out to the unclean in order to heal them that allowed Jesus to eat with sinners. In Matthew 9, we learn, And it came to pass that Jesus sat at meat in the house with publicans and sinners. And, of course, the Pharisees were complaining about it. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick.
1: We don't have to wait to come unto him until we are whole or righteous or worthy. He invites us now. His hands are outstretched towards each of us to come as we are, come now, so that we can be healed. Here's a song that we love from our dear friend, Kenneth Cope. We thought you'd like to hear this. It's called Broken, and this reminds us of God's work of healing.
2: Broken clouds give rain. Broken soil grows grain. Feeds man for one more day Broken storms yield light The break of day heals night Broken pride turns blindness into sight Broken soul that need his mending broken hearts for offering could it be that God loves broken things broken chains set free broken swords bring peace broken walls make friends of you and me, to break the ranks of sin, to break the news of him, to put on Christ till his name feels broken in. Broken souls that need his mending, broken hearts for offering. I believe that God loves broken things. And yet Isn't that a
1: beautiful song and so appropriate for what we're talking about today in this podcast?
2: A
0: ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum came to Jesus to tell him, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee. Come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. As he is heading toward the ruler's home, he is in a crowd of people again, when a woman with an issue of blood reaches out to touch the hem of his garment, which is probably his prayer shawl. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole.
1: Consider the faith it took for her to come out in this crowd. With this issue of blood, she would be considered unclean, And it had been upon her for so many years that she had been cut off from society for a very long time, for these 12 years, another marginalized woman. This disease had not only been debilitating to her, but she had also spent all of her living seeking the cure, and none was to be found, and, quote, had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but rather grew worse.
0: Yet as soon as she touched his clothes, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Immediately.
1: Jesus, knowing that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched me? His disciples were astonished. Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me?
0: This should give us faith that however small we feel in the crowd, when we reach out to touch him, he knows it. The Lord not only touches us, but he is also touched by our infirmities. Daughter, he says, thy faith hath made thee whole.
1: Oh, I love that story so much. Now, meanwhile, certain people came from the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saying that it was too late. Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Jesus said to Jairus, who was the master of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. How many times do we need to be reminded of this very imperative Be not afraid, only believe. Now, at an ancient Jewish funeral in those days, mourning was a noisy affair with much weeping and wailing and tumult. This had already begun when Jesus said, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn, but when he went in to where the damsel was lying, he took her by the hand and said, Talitikumi, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise.
0: The word talita has been interpreted in two ways. One is as it's customary to wrap a sick person in the talit, signifying wrapping them in the power of the word. Some scholars believe that when Jesus spoke, he was referring to the Hebrew word for talit, or like prayer shawl, representing the word of God. It could mean little girl wrapped in the word of God, arise. But it also could mean with the Greek word for little lamb. It would be then little lamb. I say unto thee, Arise. Do miracles like that continue today?
1: I know that miracles like this happen today because one particular one happened to me. We were just getting ready to go to the Nauvoo Temple Press open house, and I got bitten by a brown recluse spider on my leg. And it was horrible i would never been so sick before my fevers went to 104 then 105 i was convulsing i was going through fevers and chills and this leg became necrotic and it was growing at a very rapid rate i went to the doctor she looked at it she said there's nothing really we can do about it there's no antidote for this and so just take a sharpie and mark around the necrotic part and see how much it grows every day and let's just keep watching it very closely i got sicker and sicker and we had to leave the next day for the press open house for the Navu temple and so i called my home teacher then it was called home teacher and he came over and i said i need a blessing and i need to be healed of this and i really believe that the lord can heal me and so he gave me this powerful powerful blessing and in that blessing he said I command the effect of this poisons to go back now and to stop. And the very next morning, we were ready to leave. We had to leave on our already purchased plane tickets. And the necrosis had retreated. Just a small amount, but it had retreated, and I felt better. My fever had left me, and we were able to go to this. And I have no after effects from this brown recluse spider bite, none whatsoever. I can't even remember which leg it was where I was bitten. And that, to me, was a miracle.
0: When the Lord says that it's our faith that makes us whole, it's a very specific kind of faith. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's also submissively accepting of His will and timing in our lives. Through the storms of life, the Lord is there for us, steady, loving, and true one time, as the Lord and his apostles are crossing the Sea of Galilee, a great storm arose. On that Sea of Galilee, great storms can arise suddenly as the wind whips through the nearby mountains to the west, called the Horns of teen. The waves beat against the boat, which began to fill with water, and the men feared for their lives. Meanwhile, Jesus was in the hinder part of the boat asleep, so they rushed to him and asked, "'Master, carest thou not that we perish?' And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm.
1: Everything in this universe obeys the word of the Master. Jehovah told Abraham, For I am the Lord thy God. I dwell in heaven. The earth is my footstool. I stretch my hand over the sea, and it obeys my voice. I cause the wind and the fire to be my chariot. I say to the mountains, depart hence, and behold, they are taken away by a whirlwind in an instant suddenly. That's Abraham 2, 7. It caused the apostles to marvel when Jesus said, peace be still, and the waves and the wind obeyed him. What manner of man is this, they said, that even the wind and the sea obey him?
0: The faith to be healed, the faith to make it through life's very real and very powerful storms, comes from knowing that the Master of the universe is in the boat with you. And when you have made covenants with him and you keep them, you can be certain that he is there to say, Peace be still.
1: Next week's lesson is Matthew chapters 10 through 12, Mark 2, Luke 7, and 11, and it's entitled, These Twelve Jesus Sent Forth. Remember to tell your friends about this podcast. That's the best way for them to come to know this at your recommendation. It's available on Meridian Magazine at ldsmag.com forward slash podcast or on many other podcast platforms online as well. Just search for Meridian Magazine Come Follow Me podcast.
0: Special thanks to Paul Cardall for providing the music for this podcast and we'll see you next week.